welcome to this week's On the Spot. I'm Zach Strickland, here with, as usual, John Paul Hampstead, our Director of Passport Research, uh, here to talk about the freight markets and what we're seeing right now. And of course, this is the traditional summer peak season. Uh, we're, we're seeing, uh, you know, rapid tightening, tender rejection rates, over 12% for the first time in a long time, uh, tender volumes uh, expanding wildly as well. So, you know, it's been an interesting week, JP. Yeah. Um I keep hearing some people say, oh, but isn't this just a normal seasonality? But, you know, at least compared to 2019, um, things are much more amplified. The magnitude of the swings is greater. And in general, ever since March, markets have been much more volatile than normal. Um, So last year, right before the July 4th holiday, outbound tenor rejections peaked around 6.2%. Now they're about 12.2%, and we have another week to run before the holiday. Um, I want to say that OTVI is above 12,000. Yep, um, it's 12,300. This is a, you know, an extremely high number for national volumes. And really, I, I mean, we're seeing broad-based uh, spot rate inflation and capacity tightening across the country. It really started um, a month ago in Los Angeles, and has continued to sort of, that tightness has kind of spread through the country. I think first in, in really in um, Dallas and Atlanta, but now it's, it's pretty, you know, Harrisburg is tight. Tons of regional markets are tight. I think Miami has like a tender rejection <laughs> above 9% or something. Yeah, um, tender rejections uh, pretty much all over the country are up right now, uh, most places for sure. And I think one of the interesting aspects of this is that we saw volumes really lead the, re- the capacity reduction yet again, uh, whereas in March, volumes just surged and they almost turned on right away. We saw tender rejections within a matter of days follow. This took, it felt like, about a few weeks before the tender rejections really started pouring in. And I think that was a product of the fact that we had, you know, carriers really not sure about whether or not the market was going to recover. They needed to make sure that they were adhering to their route guides as much as possible, servicing their, their accounts, their contracted freight as much as possible. And I think that they were just gobbling up as much as they could because they had just had a month and a half off, you know, really to think about whatever they wanted to think about their life. So in the stock market, you would say that it was like a hated rally. Like it was a rally that no one believed in. Right. Right. But eventually the carriers gained enough confidence. Um, and, you know, I think it's also uh, part of the story here too, is that shippers continued to test contracted rates uh, by tendering loads, perhaps below prevailing contracted rates. Um, that also slowly uh, caused tender rejections to grind upward. And, and it was, you know, it happened slowly and then it happens kind of all at once, right? Yeah, I mean, I think this was really just, uh, you know, when you're, when you're talking about uh, carriers needing to get that utilization up, uh, they, they're just really, you know, they're willing to deadhead 200 miles, 250 miles in some cases. Some of them may even go 500 miles to, to deadhead and get uh, the freight. And now they're finding, I think they're finally figuring out they don't have to do that. Um, they can simply just say, well, I'm going to go find this, I'm going to go service this freight 50 miles away or 20 miles away versus trying to really adhere to a lot of what my route guide says, which is, right. you know, from a business standpoint, you have to do that. You can't just. And their networks are thrown off anyway, just because of the sort of um, 
uneven performance of shippers and the uneven demand in the goods economy. So what if they maybe they had set something up to where they had a backhaul, you know, a reliable backhaul, getting them back to their their main, you know, contracted account and getting their asset back in position. That fell away. They were deadheading to, to, to do it or, or trying to figure out something else kind of on an ad hoc basis. Um, but now they're just rejecting it. Yeah. I mean, and again, the tender volumes that we're seeing now, they would have, you know, really correlated with more of a 14, 15% tender rejection rate versus where it is now. So there's still room to grow on the tender rejection rate, uh, especially if you're looking at the March, you know, relationship between tender rejections and tender volumes. They almost lined up exactly uh, with their movements. Uh, this one, not so much. It took a lot longer. We took about two to three weeks before tender rejection rates really started to increase uh, with any significance. And I, you know, looking into July, are we going to continue to see this seasonality? Uh, you know, and, and I say seasonality in a more traditional sense of trend line analysis, yeah. not necessarily pattern. Pattern. It, it looks, we've broken pattern for sure. Uh, but you look at traditional seasonality, and we're talking about a June market that's typically the more the, one of the more robust in the of the twelve month cycle. Oh yeah, and traditionally July softens sequentially. July softens, and then you see a ramp in the late August and September. Yeah, and I mean in August and September, and it, it kind of depends. You know, sometimes August is a good month if that ramp starts earlier. Sometimes it's a bad month, and you just see a September bomb. Yeah, there's less there's less seasonality in that August September. It's really hit or miss, and that's dependent on the overall economy a lot of times. But the uh, you know whether or not this continues past July 4th, I do think that we'll continue to outperform uh, 2018 for a little while, uh, at least in the early part of July. 2018. Yeah, I think we'll still continue to outperform 2018. Um, for 2019? 2019 for sure. Okay. I mean, it's going to take All a right. minute. Interesting. Uh, um, <laughs> that's fascinating. I mean, I, I, I think what my team is really looking at with regard to July is just how does capacity react in r- r- relative to volume? Mm-hmm. So if volume goes down but things stay tight, that's like a flashing red sign that, yeah. like, you know, Q4 could get really wild. Yeah. Um, and you know there are other variations of that, those moves. You know if if volumes stay steady, but but um, rejections continue to ratchet higher. Obviously, that tells you a lot. Oh, so no. that's that's kind of what we're looking for. If if we see a, a sort of a correlated uh, down movement where both volumes soften and um, and rejections you know ease a lot, then that kind of tells you that. Maybe things are, are more normal than they seem, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah, I, we were talking before the show, of course, about how this new uh, you know freight market pattern is really di- divergent from what we've seen in the past. Uh, you know, a lot of the relationships have broken down a little bit. Those correlations, uh, not necessarily as you know one to one as they used to be, or inverted, whatever you want to call it. And you know, in my you know, in my view, I mean, we're talking about things like the ATA's truck tonnage index. You know, it was down in May. OTVI was up slightly in May. Uh, there's this debate over whether or not May was, you know, as, you know, a recovery month. But OTVI was still down like 4% year over year in May. So it's not like, you know, a significant divergence uh, from traditional patterns. But I think but, a large, a lot, to your larger point, people are just having an actually fairly robust conversation about 
data and uh, yeah, data indexes that are often quoted in the industry um, and maybe haven't been questioned right. or scrutinized that closely in years past, but now there's so much confusion in the market and there's so much divergence between how different players in the market um, perceive you know, business conditions that the data is really being looked at. And I think there are actually some really good high-level discussions happening on, on LinkedIn and um, you know, other forms of social media and just out in the industry and in, in virtual conferences more broadly. So I think that's like really healthy. Um, and it is, it is a confusing time too, but. Well, I mean, this is, not, this is why it, it, I mean, this is really healthy, I think. This is actually extremely valuable because now we can actually break down you know, what these actually measure. I mean, you're basically looking at something that calls itself a tonnage index. Is it truly measuring weight? Is that what it's measuring? And I, I mean, and and is, <laughs> does weight matter? Yeah, does weight matter at this how point? Much, how much does weight matter actually and, and, matter for? And the reasons that it could life. divert from other indexes is for two reasons. It could be weight, which weight for you know if you're measuring weight versus shipments, that's not a one to one. That's that's not a connected measurement. It's not apples to apples. You're uh, measuring it, weight versus dollar spent yeah. it's not connected it's not gonna it's not the same denominator if you're measuring so. weight for you know compared to truckload it's mm -hmm. not connected if you're measuring weight compared to truckload rates it's not connected and the traditional freight mix has been thrown off right. extensively and one of the things we were talking about before the show was the fact that you know you don't necessarily need like robust retail sales or industrial production to have freight movement those are those are kind of like early cycle and late cycle uh, you know, in terms of the order, the stream of freight, they're kind of like endpoint and beginning point numbers. There's a lot of stuff that happens in between that, you know, such as inventory repositioning, uh, which is something we've seen a ton of in the last two years, really, with the trade war, starting a lot of that supply chains really being disrupted. Yeah, and, and, and to the extent that a lot of retail freight is seasonal and inventories have to be turned over to actually generate sales, right. You know, like people buy different kinds of things and back to school than they do in February and then they do in June and the order that they do in December. Yeah. Um, and so like a lot of the movement in demand for transportation occurs well before um, significant movements in actual retail spending. Yeah. A lot of shippers will, you know, obviously get freight into position ahead of demand because they're forecasting demand. The problem with right now is that they didn't forecast a lot of the demand that we're right. seeing right now. You know, obviously the world has changed in the last three months. Uh, people are buying different products. Grocery is now leading restaurant and commissary type. You know, we're consuming things much differently. People are buying up home improvement. Re uh, real estate is going haywire. Home sales are going haywire still. Uh, construction still a big thing right now. So it's not that we're, you know, the traditional patterns are just, they just don't look the same because right. they're spending money in different ways. They're behaving in different ways that doesn't necessarily flow through the same exact channels. One that you thing saw is remain constant, though. They're spending every last dollar they have. <laughs> well, savings is well, up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. savings. Is, I should say that um, retail savings for lower and middle income. Sorry, retail spending for lower and middle income has recovered a lot more than retail spending for higher incomes. Yeah. Um, one last thing I did want to touch on was just um, my team's putting put together a uh, Q2 3PL earnings preview. I mean, it's not we're not like 
predicting earnings, building financial models, setting price targets, or offering investment advice, mm -hmm. because that would be wrong. But what we are doing is kind of saying like, okay, given how these companies are set up, how they management has said that they're going to operate in the market, given their you know, 20 years of historical data, um, of their you know, financial data correlated to freight market data, how do we think this quarter shaped out for them? Um, and what's, it, what's really interesting is that in April, on their Q1 earnings calls, everybody was saying, oh, this is great. You know, capacity's easing up, rates are falling, our margins should be widening. Well, they were pretty much saying that at the bottom <laughs> and everything reversed from there. So volumes went up, um, not necessarily contract rates. Right. Uh, spot rates went up, capacity tightened. So we actually think that, and when you take all of the, you know, you take the national average spot rate for Q2 2020, it's actually higher than the average spot rate for Q2 2019. Right. You factor in a lower, a, on average, a lower contract rate for 2020, right? Because it was negotiated in 2019. Mm -hmm. Narrower margins. Yeah. Narrower margins on perhaps higher volumes by the time you get to May and June, um, or June especially. Right. But yeah, it's 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 interesting. Um, I think I think some of the three PLs will probably talk about how they improved their their mix toward contract away from spot, right? Because there wasn't any spot freight. I mean, but that's actually where they're getting squeezed yeah. is on the contract freight now. Yeah, it's it's got to be extremely difficult for the brokers to uh, navigate uh, this level of volatility. I think normally they like the volatility, but this is unprecedented in the way that we've flopped the market now three times. Uh, yeah. In the last three months, normally we have three months to deal with these inversions. <laughs> right. Uh, but now, of course, they're going to have to deal with increasing spot market. It's going to be pressure. interesting. I think. I think to the ex just what, one last thing to the extent that they are able to maintain or wide margins, it'll be because the scale of a C.H. Robinson or an Echo mm -hmm. or a J.B. Hunt enabled them to push rates further down in April than right. national average and keep rates from rising as much as the national average in June. And so I don't know, you know, they're much vaunted buying power, if that's really a thing. Uh, I guess we'll find out yeah. when, when they announce the results. I mean, with the carriers, the way that they've obviously negotiated lower contracts for this year, uh, they're going to have a lot of trouble, uh, you know, keeping those margins elevated and making money, uh, even with an elevated spot market, because it's going to take another while for those contracts to get any pressure on them again. Well, thank you so much, JP. Uh, thank you for watching, of course. Uh, stay tuned to FreightWaves Live, FreightWaves.com for any future freight market updates and have a great week.